Good evening, brothers and sisters. Let's turn to God's Word now and hear God Himself speak to us. Our Old Testament text is Genesis 39. Genesis 39, we'll read the whole chapter. Hear God's word. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he's brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came in to lie, to, to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came into me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard the words, which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. 
Our New Testament text is 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. First Peter four, twelve through nineteen. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, Blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in this matter, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. And then dropping down to five uh, chapter 5, picking up at verse 5b. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the first questions in the children's catechism um, is, uh, is where, uh, uh, where is God? And the answer is, God is everywhere. Um, we overheard little B this week. Uh, working on that one on, on our own, just kind of reciting it off. God, God, are you there? God, are you there? God is everywhere, she was saying. Um, and it came to my mind as I was meditating on the text here, Genesis 39. God is everywhere. It's a glorious doctrine. It's what we call the omnipresence of God, that God is everywhere present. It's a profound statement. It means, first of all, God is not like us. We can't be everywhere. Sometimes we wish we could be in more than one place at a time, but we're creatures. We're bound to our creatureliness, and we're bound to a place. Um, 
Uh, but God is not a creature. God is spirit. There's another children's catechism question. Um, what is God? God is a spirit and does not have a body like man. He's spirit. And so he is, he is the eternal spirit and he is everywhere. He transcends space and time. So he's omnipresent. You probably know the words of Psalm 139. They're probably precious to you. Words about uh, meditating on this truth. Uh, Psalm 139, 7-10. Where shall I go from your presence? From your spirit, where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the outermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. God, God is everywhere. It's a glorious truth. But as, uh, if you hear there in the language of Psalm 139, uh, the, the doctrine of God's omnipresence is not just this transcendent, big, vast, and even terrible doctrine of, of the awesome grandeur of God. It's that, and at the same time, it's a meditation, isn't it, on the imminence of God, the closeness of God. This is the profound truth that Psalm 139 is getting at, and as we'll see that Genesis 39 is going to reflect, is God is everywhere, transcendent, beyond boundaries of space and time, everywhere, and he's everywhere, right here, with me. This is the promise of the covenant, isn't it? God will be with you. God, God is everywhere, omnipresent, but with his covenant people, he's with you. Not just because he's omnipresent as your creator, but because he is your redeemer and your sustainer and your friend and he's with you and he's promised to be with you as your good shepherd, guiding you and leading you every step of your life, your shield, your refuge, your strength, with you, close to you. The very present help in trouble. It's his omnipresence applied to the covenant of grace. And that's what we see in Genesis 39 played out in Joseph's life. It's a, it's a wonderful truth. Um, I want to ask, uh, what, what difference would it make in your life, brothers and sisters, to know that God is with you like that? To know that he's ever-present with you? I mean, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be life-changing for you um, to know that every night that you lie down in your bed, God is right there with you. When you wake up in the morning, he's right there with you as your covenant Lord and your, and your, and your good shepherd surrounding you with a steadfast love, uh, ready to sustain you through all things, calling you to faithfulness, calling you to obedience, but you know he's there to sustain you through it. Um, what if you knew that he's with you, especially perhaps um, on the really bad days? or not just the bad days, the bad years, or the bad decades, that, that, that in those times, in those seasons, what if you knew in, th in those things, ah, he is, he is with me in this. He's not watching from a distance. Uh, he's not cheering me on from the sidelines. He is, he is with me, as close as can be, in this valley of the shadow of death. I fear no evil, for you're with me. What about if you knew he was with you also in the moments of temptation? 
struggling to trust his word, struggling to do what he's called you to do. But if you know in those moments he's with you, to give you both the strength to obey and also you stand in awe of who he is, you're living before his face, you know he's watching you and he's with you, so you don't want to disobey him. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't that strengthen you? Both these things, beloved, are what we see in Genesis 39 at work in Joseph's life. He knows God is with him. And so he's able to be patient through the seasons of extreme difficulty and, and hardship. And also, he's able to be stubbornly resistant in the face of persistent temptation. Both things. It is the covenant omnipresence of God with him, which is strengthening him. Um, Last week we saw Genesis 38. Genesis 38 shows us what it looks like when someone does not believe this. Judah. And he, he's, he, it's a godless chapter in many ways. He's, he's living as though God is not with him. God does not see him. He goes through hardship and he relies on himself, doesn't turn to God. He sees temptation and he runs straight into it because he has no sense of the presence of God with him. Genesis 39, night and day difference. Here is a man who knows God is with him. And what a difference it makes. Um, so these are our two... Uh, these are our two headings. Um, first, um, to know that God is with you makes you patient to submit to every providence. And then second, we'll see this. To know God is with you makes you strong to resist every temptation. First, then, um, patiently submit to every providence. Uh, the chapter opens in verses 1 through 5. Joseph has just been sold into Egypt. Put yourself in in his shoes if you can. Imagine what he's going through. His young guy, um, his brothers uh, hate him and they've wanted to kill him. The only reason they didn't kill him is because they found out they could make some money on him uh, by by selling him as a slave. Um, He had gone from being his father's favorite heir apparent overnight, sold as a slave and taken from home and probably would think he would never have reason to expect to see his, uh, his, his father again. Um, uh, he's been basically exiled from the promised land. He's no longer in the, in the presence of, of, of the people of God. So perhaps he's wrestling with thoughts of, well, how can, I, how can I inherit the blessings promised to me if I've been taken so far away from, from my God and my people and, and the land of promise? Um, I don't know about you, but in a situation like that, going through something like what he's going through, I would be responding with, uh, with some complaints and, and some resentment, I think, and some doubts about, about God. Lord, if this is how you treat me, then I'm, then I'm going to walk away. I'm not going to bother being faithful. If, if you're not faithful, you broke your promises. I'm not going to keep mine. But Joseph responds. He's patient. He's humble submissive to the providence of God, quietly submits to the providence God has brought him in, however hard it is. And, and, and he, he not only graciously submits to it, but he um, keeps doing what God has called him to do, working hard with integrity uh, for his new master, Potiphar. Um, what's, why? Why is he doing this? Verse 2 is the key verse here. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a successful 
man. That's what makes all the difference, isn't it? It's the gracious presence of God with him. Notice the verse does not say, and Joseph was very righteous, therefore the Lord was with him. It says, the Lord was with him. That's the first thing. Uh, that the Lord himself, by his grace, is with him. It's not Joseph who's making himself this way. And it's not Joseph who's, who, who's uh, making himself faithful or making himself successful. It is God, by his grace, at work in him, producing this in him. Um, and we see, we see God's gracious presence with Joseph to bless him, running through all these opening verses here. Um, uh, we see it in the fact that Joseph is called, he, he, he is bought by a slave of, uh, to be a slave of the captain of the guard. He's not sent out to do backbreaking work. Um, uh, he, is, he is given a privileged position. It's no accident. God's providence has brought him here very particularly. Um, and it's just another way that God is telling him that he's not forgotten him, he's not forsaken him, even though he's so far from home. And then we see this grace of of God to him multiplying in verses 3 through 5, that everything he touches turns to gold. Uh, Potiphar is just thrilled to have have this new servant. Everything he's doing is turning out well. And even Potiphar can see the blessing of God is is on him. And and, uh, um, Joseph works with integrity and skill and and excellence. And Potiphar can trust him completely. And and he makes him steward over all that he has. Um, Brothers and sisters, we should learn from the, 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 what, we, what we're seeing here, that uh, God is with Joseph, God is blessing Joseph, and therefore Joseph humbly submits to God's providence, and therefore God blesses Joseph further still. God is with you, so therefore be patient in every providence and submit to his will with humility. Be patient through the hard things that he brings you through. And don't just be patient in the hard seasons, but uh, keep doing your work, as Joseph does. Um, do what God has called you to do. We, we, we read this in First Peter earlier. Uh, Peter's instructing the church there. Um, uh, they're, they're, they're spiritual exiles. Uh, they're, they're, they're far from their heavenly home. And he's calling them to faithfulness. And he says, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That's what Joseph did, and that's what Peter is calling us to do as well. What do you do when you suffer? Well, you know it's according to God's will. So I'm going to trust my soul to the faithful creator, the one with all wisdom and power and and justice, the one who is in control of this situation, and he's faithful, he's not false, he'll be true to his word to me, and trust my soul to a faithful creator, and then keep on doing good. Resist the temptation to become self-pitying in your hardship. Joseph would have been so tempted to just feel bad for himself. But instead, eyes on God, trust my soul to him, keep doing good. And that is what we are called to do, continue to do, even in the hard seasons, what God has called you to do, loving and serving and praying and and, and not moping around spiritually, but looking up and looking out. It's hard to do. Impossible to do, isn't it? But God is with you. God is with you to strengthen you and sustain you.
So patiently submit, brothers and sisters, to every providence and keep doing good. The second thing the text tells us is to resist every temptation. Um, so right after, right after verse 5, um, where we read about how much God is blessing Joseph, uh, we read this in verses 6 through 7. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, lie with me. What we're seeing is Joseph was blessed, and now he's being tested. This so often happens in God's providence. We see it throughout the narrative of Genesis. God brings blessing, and then he brings testing uh, to try your heart and, 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 and see where your heart is. He, he, he does it with, with Noah. He does it with Abraham. Uh, and now here he is doing it with, with Joseph. God is not the one tempting him, but God is using the situation of temptation as a test of Joseph. It's a difficult temptation. Um, it appeals to Joseph's situation. He's been abandoned by his family, probably feels all alone, sold into slavery. He's far from uh, the, the, the outward blessing, covenant blessing of God in many ways. And, and he would think, uh, he could be tempted to think, um, why not just live the way I want to live? Enjoy something that I want to enjoy. Um, it, it appeals to his pride. It's, it's, it's a flattering temptation. Um, it's a persistent temptation. Verse, uh, verse 10 tells us that it happened day by day. Not just a one-time thing, but an ongoing thing that was, going, that was happening here. And, and, and the opportunity was right there. It's not like he didn't do it because he couldn't do it. Um, opportunities abounded. Uh, verse 11 tells us the house is empty, except for Joseph and, and Potiphar's wife. So all, all these things strengthen the temptation and push him towards the temptation, but he stubbornly, persistently, and decisively refuses. Potiphar's wife grabs him, and he runs as fast as he can. He does what 1 Corinthians 6.18 tells us to do, flee from sexual immorality. Temptation comes, and he runs. Brothers and sisters, um, the text is calling us to respond as well to temptation in the same, the same way. Now, um, temptations can, as they did for Joseph, I'm, I'm sure, uh, they, can, they can appeal to, to uh, the fact that we've been hurt in some way. Um, God can't expect you to, to obey in the same way he expects others to obey. You've been through something extreme. You've been through something extra hard. So go easy on yourself. God, God won't expect as much of you. Temptation will, will say that to us. Appeal to, to the, the difficulty we've been through. Temptation will flatter us. Well, you've earned this. You deserve something extra. You're an exception. Um, temptation can be persistent. Day by day by day, the same temptation confronting us. And we can say, well, uh, if it weren't so persistent, I would resist it. But it's just there over and over and over. Um, Temptation might, uh, there might be all kinds of opportunities. Oh, I couldn't help it. Just, it just fell into my lap. It, it, practically, just, just, it just happened. It was, it was barely my fault. Um, um, didn't go looking for it. What choice do I have? But brothers and sisters, you always have a choice to run as Joseph runs. No matter your circumstances, brothers and sisters, no matter your hurt or how persistent the temptation is, how in your face it might be, you must resist. 
stubbornly and decisively resist all temptation. How? How did Joseph do it? The key is verses 8 and 9. He says this, uh, the text says this, but he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? A couple things to, to note here about the the logic that Joseph uses. First of all, uh, the privileges that he enjoys are for him not an encouragement to sin, but an encouragement not to sin. His position and his power and the trust that he's been given are not to him a license for greater liberty to sin how he'd like, but for him, it's the opposite. He has his master's trust. He can't break his master's trust. he, He understands that what he's received is a privilege not a license, and he needs to live faithfully with what he's received. Second, you can see how his mind is trained on the grace of God. His mind has been, uh, 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 it's it's under the influence of the grace of God. Um, He does not think, his heart does not think, well, I deserve this. I deserve the blessing of God, or I deserve to enjoy that temptation that's being offered to me says I am not worthy of the least of all your mercies, O God. He, he knows God has been gracious to give him this position. And he will not take advantage of it to sin against his master. And then third, um, most importantly, the end of verse 9, which says this, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Uh, the, way, the way he's been talking, you expect him to say, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against my master Potiphar? Which would be true, would be a sin against Potiphar. But he says, how can I do this wickedness against God? In other words, um, God is with him. He knows God is present with me. So that, that's why he can't sin. Because God is with, with him, watching him. And God would not want him to do this. Not just he does, doesn't have this, just a, a general sense that God is, is, is nearby, but this sense, this vital awareness, God is as close to me as I am to myself, and my life is lived out before his face. And, and, and so God is there. He's not going to do this. Brothers and sisters, um, uh, that's what it is to, to, to fear the Lord. To, to know who God is and that He's with you. And to walk before Him. To live out your life in the knowledge of that. Pray that you would know His presence with you. And, and, and that you would fear and respect the fact that He's with you. And resist temptation. Knowing that He is there watching and testing and also supplying what you need to resist every temptation. So this is how Joseph um, passes the test. But then, uh, it's interesting, he doesn't get a reward, does he? He passes the test, he does well, it says no to temptation. But uh, instead of getting rewarded for this faithfulness and this obedience, what happens? Well, he gets punishment. Uh, he gets, he gets um, uh, difficulty. He gets hardship. Um, uh, things get even harder, harder for him. 
Uh, he is slandered, verses 16 through 20. We read of a second humiliation here. It really parallels what happened to him in the first place. Um, when he was uh, sold into slavery, going from a high position now down to a low one. Again, here he's, he's slandered. Uh, Potiphar's wife tells a lie that it was Joseph, his initiation, his fault. Um, and then Potiphar has him thrown in prison. It's interesting the text doesn't uh, um, make it clear if Potiphar is angry with Joseph or with his wife. Um, the level of, of what's going on here, uh, you might expect Potiphar would have Joseph put to death. It's suggestive that he doesn't have him put to death, that he might actually still believe Joseph, and he, but he just can't do anything about the situation. Um, so he has him put into prison instead. Uh, but, but either way, Joseph thrown into prison. Um, and he, I mean, he must have been thinking, again? <laughs> I just, I, I was here, and we went down, and, and then I was going, God was blessing me, and I was in a position of uh, privilege and, and responsibility and probably enjoying the work and, and, and enjoying benefits from it, and now whoosh, I did the right thing, and look where it landed me. Um, of course, he's not thinking that. That's probably what we'd be thinking, but it's not what he is thinking. Uh, what does he do? It's just what he did before. The Lord is with me patiently submit to this hardship again. The Lord has brought me into this. I'm going to patiently submit and trust my soul to a faithful creator and keep on doing good. And he does. He doesn't say, well, this time I'm just going to live for myself. No, he, 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 he is so full of integrity and, 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 and helpfulness and the blessing of God on him there in the prison that before you know it, he's just about running the place once again uh, because of his patient submission to God while doing good. God continues to be at work in and through Joseph, and Joseph continues to trust, even here you are with me. Uh, the chapter has these two bookends. It started in verse 2, saying, God is with him. And now again, verse 21, God is with him. The whole chapter bookended by this. Brothers and sisters, uh, that, that, is a, that is the central lesson of the text for us. God is with us. Do you see how important it is to have him with you? What a difference it makes to have him with you as your covenant God and to know that he's with you. It makes all the difference, isn't it? But to know he's with you between giving up when you're faced with the hard providence or patient submission to him in the hard providence. Uh, it makes all the difference if you know he's with you between indulging temptation and resisting temptation. Um, perhaps you say, well, Joseph was really an exceptional guy, though. I mean, he, he's, 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 uh, he's, he's special. He's uniquely righteous. Uh, unique position in God's plan, and that's all true. Um, but nonetheless, God is with us, even as he was with him. We're in the same covenant with God that Joseph was. We have the same promises that Joseph had, the, the covenant of grace and the promise of the covenant of grace for everyone in the covenant is God says, I'll be with you. And that is, uh, that is not changed from the days of Genesis 39 and, and Joseph's experience to now. God is with you. The promise is just as much yours as it was his. Second, um, that promise is not based on performance, on our performance, is it? 
the covenant promise, I will be with you. How can a holy God make a promise like that to a sinner? Joseph too, a sinner. Well, he can only make a promise to be with a sinner if, if there's been forgiveness of sins and if there's been justification and reconciliation. And, and all that, of course, is in Jesus Christ, our Savior. The only reason God can make this promise is because he poured out his wrath for our sin on our Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, and, and that was the basis for God being with Joseph. The basis of God being with Joseph was not Joseph's righteousness. And so it is with us. I mean, this is pointed out so clearly also in Genesis. If you look at Jacob's life, Jacob got the same promise. I'll be with you, Jacob. With the scumbag that Jacob was. God was with him too. God will be with us because it doesn't rest on us but on Christ and what he has done for us. Also, brothers and sisters, consider this. Um, you have something even better than Joseph. Better, better than he had in the sense of God's presence with you. You have a better assurance of the presence of God with you even than him. Um, think of those wonderful words at the end of Matthew's Gospel where Jesus says to his apostles and by extension to all of us, his church, he says, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How is he with us? He's poured out his spirit on us. And the same spirit who was with Jesus Christ through all his temptation that he so stubbornly said no to and through all the hardship that he so patiently submitted to so much more than Joseph did. Through all of that, the spirit filling Jesus and now he's poured out that spirit on us. Jesus promises this in John 14, 16 through 18. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. The world cannot receive him because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. That's the glorious, rich, and, and even fuller promise that we get that, that Joseph, uh, Joseph was just getting a glimpse of and, and just had a foretaste of. Um, uh, don't you want to, to, to walk then in, in, in the knowledge of, of the presence of God with you by the Spirit of Christ? What, how do we? What's it like to, to, to do that? Um, sometimes, walking with God... You do have a sweet sense of assurance that he's with you. There are other times that you don't. But brothers and sisters, he is still with you. Don't, don't equate his presence with the feeling of his presence. Um, sometimes he gives that, sometimes he doesn't. But walk by faith. He has promised it. I'm with you. So walk by faith. Lord, I know you are with me. You've given me your word. I'm with you always, you've said to the end of the age. Not, I'm with you as long as you feel I'm with you, but the promise is, I'm with you to the end of the age. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6, reminds us this. God has said to you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So walk by faith in those promises, brothers and sisters. Submit patiently to every providence, 
knowing the Lord is with you. Resist stubbornly every temptation, knowing the Lord is with you in Christ by His Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for the great and precious promises of Your Word that You are with us and that You will sustain us to the end until, until we're brought home and our exile is ended uh, and, and we're home in Your presence face to face. We thank You that You've not left us as orphans, but You have come to us in Your Spirit. Father, help us to, to walk by faith in, in these promises. We pray this in our Savior's name. Amen.